be reading from Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. While you're turning, we have a, a couple more opportunities. Uh, if you are looking for a ministry opportunity that's, uh, that's pretty quick and simple to take care of, uh, we still need, uh, or need again, some Cokes and Dr. Peppers for the youth building. Uh, I know you said, well, uh, di didn't we buy some just uh, not too long ago? Oh, that's right, but we have a lot of kids down there every Wednesday night. I don't know how many. It looks like about 385 down there when I look down there all playing basketball. Usually about three dozen kids that are down there, and we want to be sure to, uh, to of course, uh, help them with refreshments. So if you can provide two-liter uh, bottles of Coke and Dr. Pepper, that's, of course, what is uh, uh, preferred down there. Just bring them to the church at any time. We'll be sure and get them down to the youth building. Also was handed to me a flyer that the uh, uh, trap and skeet team for Emerson Bradley Taylor <coughs> Uh, is having a movie night next Sunday night, the 19th, down, of course, at Spring Hill uh, at the uh, theater. It'd be $5. It's a fundraiser for this uh, Trap and Skeet team. They'll be uh, airing Facing the Giants. So if, you, uh, if you'd like to, uh, to go down there and do that, we'll try to remember to get this in the bulletin next Sunday morning. Next Sunday night, 7.30, you'd still have time if you even came to church to get down there because, you know, we don't keep you long here on Sunday nights. But most definitely, if you can help out. If you can't go and you still like to give a donation, you can still do that. I'm sure we can make that happen as well. So uh, please be sure and remember uh, uh, these two uh, other items uh, that you can be of a help. Also, let me thank the church for being the church this week. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes on here each and every week. Uh, but this week was notable. Uh, we had three funerals this week, uh, and the people of our church, I know some of the men even pitched in, but the ladies especially, came through and fixed meals for a total of probably 130 people with all three families involved three different times this week. And of course, as is the case with funerals, you have about two days. You don't have a lot of time. And for you to be able to mobilize your teams and get things together and organize and provide this food. You did an excellent job and it's a wonderful ministry and families appreciate that. So uh, those of you who are involved in this, thank you for being the church. Those of you who have prayed and take care of the other business and the work that goes on from week to week. Uh, you know, when, when we have people that are willing to roll up their sleeves and get to work, that's when things happen. And I really appreciate the church that you are. Acts chapter 20, verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read? Acts chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. When the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Segundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. 
Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the activities of a busy man and busy churches. And as we look back on the things that happened 2,000 years ago, help us to learn some lessons that we can benefit from today. We need to hear from you today, and we ask that you would speak to our church, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This series of events occurred on Paul's third missionary journey. The conclusion of the second missionary journey that we spoke of last week is recorded in Acts chapter 18, verse 22. It says, when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And anytime you say that he went down to Antioch, of course, you remember Antioch was the sending church. So this is the end of the second missionary journey. And the third missionary journey begins almost immediately after that. In verse 23, after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening the disciples. So he didn't stay put long. And as we mentioned last week, the apostle Paul did not stay put long. He was one, of course, that was going. That was his ministry, to go and to travel. And of course, the third missionary journey begins right here. Now, The first missionary journey that we spoke of a few weeks ago was about 1,400 miles. Give you the takeaways from that. We could spend weeks looking at each missionary journey. And, of course, if you remember, the the first missionary journey started from the church at Antioch. But the church at Antioch was not originally, of course, an, an established church. It started out as a mission point. And a mission point becomes a missionary sending church. It talks about churches maturing and growing into something better than when they start. So it started out as a mission point. And then it establishes a church that matured to the point where it was ascending church. But the point we made is our enthusiasm on sending is going to match whatever enthusiasm we have on spending. And when we have a heart to spend for Jesus, then we'll have a heart to send for Jesus. When we're not afraid to spend, we'll do a lot more sending. And this was a spending and ascending church. Now, the second journey is the story of John Mark. Here's, of course, the takeaway, the main points there. John Mark was disqualified by the Apostle Paul because on the first missionary journey, he quit halfway through. Paul said, he's out. I'm done. But Barnabas, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, didn't give up on John Mark. And he took John Mark with him, and they went on their missionary journey. Now, remember, 
later in Paul's life, toward the end of his life, Paul, of course, knew dozens of people that he had worked with. And when he wrote the letter to Timothy, as he was about, to, of course, to end his ministry, his life here, the one person he asked for was John Mark. Go get Mark. Bring him with you. And he says, he is valuable to me for the ministry. And then, of course, you remember John Mark developed even more. You have his gospel in your lap today. So we understand that's the takeaway from the third missionary journey. First missionary journey lasted about 1,400 miles. Second missionary journey, about 2,800 miles. Now Paul, he hasn't gone enough. He is going again. So let's look at a, a couple of things that we can benefit from in the third missionary journey. Now, if you realize, as we started chapter 20, verse 1, there's, there's some unanswered questions, some un, un, unfinished business here, because it says, after the uproar had ceased. Now, we've got to deal with that. But what was going on here? Well, what we have is a previous interruption, which was a riot in a, in a town called Ephesus. Now, how'd this all start? First of all, in 19 uh, verse 10, this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. He came to Ephesus and for two years, people were hearing the word of the Lord. Does not surprise us, does it? The priority of Paul, of course, the word of the Lord. Now, what kind of success did they have? It says, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevail. So not only was he preaching the word, they were seeing results. They were seeing a, right, a, a lot of results. In fact, for some people in town, it was too many results. It was too much. They couldn't live with it because the new Christians quit spending money on sinful things. Because you have to look through this passage of scripture. There was, of course, a thriving business that made silver shrines, little trinkets to the goddess Diana, or Artemis, as you have maybe in some of the other translations. The, the false god Diana in Ephesus, in that part of the country, they had, of course, a custom to where you would have this shrine or this little trinket, a little image of Diana, and you'd carry it around with you. And it was the most popular cult in the Roman Empire. There were over 31 temples all throughout the Roman Empire. So we're talking about it was a pop culture thing. And here's what would happen. You'd carry that little shrine, little trinket around with you, a little statue of Diana, and then came time on your high worship days. You know what they would do? They would put that trinket on the altar as a worship to the goddess of Diana. And you know what would happen then? Well, the priest of the religion of Diana would melt that all down. Then they would give it back to the silversmiths and they would do it all over again. And you see, you would spend money on that little trinket because everybody was getting them. Everybody carried them around with them. Everybody had one. You see, that was the most popular cult in the whole Roman Empire. So it was the going thing. And they would spend money on those things. Then they would throw them in as worship to their false god and then, you know, they would recycle it. And you know who was making money? The silversmiths. And what would happen is more and more people were getting saved. 
more and more people were coming to know the Lord Jesus, and they were abandoning that. So you know what else happened? All of a sudden, it was hitting them in the pocketbook because, listen to this, true Christians quit spending money on ungodly things. True Christians, true believers, and faithful followers of Christ will not spend money on ungodly things and false worship. So it hit them in the pocketbook. So the power of greed is this. They instigated a riot. They instigated a riot, tried to couch it in all kinds of other things, but can imagine that? The people that were making money, fleecing the population, now whips up the population into a frenzy saying, these guys are about to turn our culture upside down and, and they're the enemies and so forth. All they were doing was trying to protect their racket. And there was a riot. And of course, the riot was quieted down by the clerk of the town. He said, look, guys, you need to take this to court because you're just stirring up strife in our town. But now, that was the uproar. But in this, we see the first point, Paul's constant priority when it came to the churches. Because in verse 1, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples, all the people in Ephesus that knew the Lord, that the church in Ephesus, he called them to himself and embraced them. Now, in some English translations, it says he encouraged them. See, what happened, he didn't just want to leave town and leave them kind of unsettled about, man, this was horrible. If a riot can break out now, maybe it'll break out again. So what Paul did was before he left town, he made sure all of it had settled down, and he gathered them all together. And, of course, you might say he embraced them. He gave them all a big hug, goodbye, but, but it's even more than that. He spent some time with them to encourage them and to settle them and to strengthen them. Because if you go to verse 2, now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. Now there was just a few words there, but those few words took about a year. And his activities in the region covered the entire year, said he encouraged them with many words. That's quite interesting. The Greek word that is used here for words is the word logos. And the other word for logos, in addition to word, is message. He encouraged them with the message, with the word. So Paul's constant priority was that he encouraged the churches. Now, you have proof of that in your lap right now. Because when you go from the book of Romans all the way through the book of Philemon, those are the letters of the Apostle Paul. Some of the most comforting words we have concerning our relationship with Christ found in these books. Because he wrote these words to encourage the believers. And since they're written down and been passed down to us, Paul's words continue to encourage us. There's words in the letters that have to do with discouragement, with weariness, with fatigue, with, of course, the frustrations of, of our own sinful life, with grief. All of these are in there. That was Paul's constant priority, and we benefit from that. In verse 3, and he stayed three months when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria 
he decided to return through Macedonia. Here's what was going on. We have, by the earlier writings in the book of Acts, Paul had determined to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, in that region of the country, there were ships specifically dedicated for these pilgrims that would go to Jerusalem. So the whole ship was filled with Jewish people. And Paul, of course, still being faithful to his people and to, of course, the, the Jewish religious customs, would go to the Passover. Now, the other Jewish leaders knew this. And they knew if they could get Paul on that ship, that they could kill him. You see, the second point is Paul's constant Peril. Paul constantly had people that were wanting to take him out because of his stand for the gospel. And they found the gospel, of course, so disturbing to them that they would do anything to stop it, even if it meant destroying another person. And Paul constantly had this going on. So Paul found out about it, and he didn't get on the boat but he instead went through Macedonia. So Paul's plans changed, but what happened is, since he couldn't get on the boat and go straight to Jerusalem or to Syria, which was right outside, of course, uh, the, the Hebrews' uh, country, he went through Macedonia. And therefore, of course, we have some ministry that took place. Paul's constant compassion is mentioned in something here that maybe we would miss. In verse 4, it says, and Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus and Segundus of the Thessalonians. And Gaius of Derby, And Timothy and Tychicus and Trochimus of Asia. So it starts mentioning several people from different parts of the country to accompany him. Now, how does that have anything to do with compassion? Well, Paul wrote about these travels in some of his letters, gives us the rest of the story. And if you turn just a few pages over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16. This is a revisit of something we mentioned back before the first missionary journey. And it's an ongoing procedure and project of the Apostle Paul. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16. Paul's writing to the Corinthian Christians, it thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you in the heart of Titus. He not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Not only that, that he, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered to, by us to the glory of the Lord himself to show your ready mind. He was traveling it with us with this gift. What is the gift? Well, you remember there was going to be a famine in Jerusalem in Judea. And Paul went through all of the area of the country of the Gentile churches and started collecting an offering to take back to Jerusalem. He's talking about that offering here when he talks about the gift. 
and he talks about Titus and somebody else traveling with him. Why would he do that? Well, look in verse 20. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which was administered by us, providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord but also in the sight of men. What happened was Paul had all of these people from the different churches to travel with him. That way, nobody could say, I thought we sent $100. I thought we sent $200. Can we really be sure all of that made it to the other church, to the Jerusalem church? You see, if they've given Paul the money all by themselves, and Paul was the only one traveling with all this money, People could then be suspicious and say, I don't know if he took it there. you got to watch people. And that would raise a cloud of suspicion over the apostle Paul. Paul, being a very brilliant man, said, okay, you send somebody from your church. You send somebody from that area. You send somebody from that area. And they're all going to travel with me. And they all took the gift that they took from their individual church. They kept it. That way, Paul provided to save his reputation." And to protect his reputation at all costs. Not to even leave a hint of anything improper going on. And two, wouldn't it be a lot better when the people at Jerusalem not just saw Paul come up with an envelope. But they see Paul coming up and here comes the, the people from the church from Corinth. And the church at Macedonia and the church at Galatia and the church at Ephesus. And all these people from the different churches said, we came with this. We'd like you to have it. How much more would it mean if they saw the faces of the people who sent them? So all these people traveled with the Apostle Paul. And two, remember, Paul was in peril. Paul was in danger. If Paul had the envelope with all the money in his pocket, what would happen if something happened to Paul? But what happened is all these men had different amounts of money, and it was always less likely that something bad would happen to that offering. And, of course, you're always safer when you travel together. You're safer when you travel together. So, he wants to be sure that it gets back. Now, we're going to look at a snapshot of the early church. The next verses give us a snapshot of the early church. A lot we can learn here. Now, uh, some uh, Bible scholars Say this is an accurate snapshot of what went on in the early church because Luke was there. This is an eyewitness account, and it's the earliest recorded description of Christian worship that we have in the early church. And we, we're going to start, and it's going to answer a question some of you had when we begin to go through the law and the questions about the Sabbath. Let's look at the day. Now, on the first day of the week, where the Sabbath we know was on the seventh day of the week, which is Saturday. The first day of the week would be Sunday. Why did it happen that now the Christian church is meeting on the first day of the week? Well, it started this way. Of course, the earliest Christians were Jewish men. And they, of course, met to worship in the synagogue on Saturday. After the resurrection, they would meet again on the first day of the week and celebrate the resurrection. So every week on the first day of the week, they would meet and celebrate the resurrection, and they would have a Christian worship service. And, of course, they would still, as you remember in the book of Acts, it said the disciples maintained in the temple. 
they still had their own Jewish worship, and that was nothing, of course, that was anti-Christian about them going to the temple and still praying in the temple. They would do that on the Sabbath day. But they would, of course, have the additional day of a celebration of the resurrection of Christ. They would meet with the other Christians. Now, later on, Christianity spread to the non-Jewish parts of the world. And now non-Jewish people, of course, were accepting Christ. They had no Jewish heritage. They had no culture and no custom of meeting on the seventh day of the week. Oh, but they had a reason to meet on the first day of the week. And that, of course, is because they celebrated the resurrection on the first day of the week. Why do we meet on Sundays? Because this was the first day of the week. And so the church then adopted the first day of the week because the majority of the church very early on became a group of people who had no Jewish heritage. So, of course, there is the answer. But now there's a key word here, a key word, and we don't need to forget that. You obviously get it because you're here. It says, on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. They came what? Together. Where were they? Together. And you see, we need to get that. It's because a lot of times people lose that. People lose that. Of all the people who identify as Christians in our area of the country, what percentage of those people meet together on Sunday? What percentage of the population comes to church on Sunday? Now, the majority of people will say they're Christians, but about 20 to 30 percent maybe we'll meet together on Sunday. And see, here is the important thing, the principle that's mentioned in the early church, together on Sunday. Together on Sunday. Now, we're separated through the week. We've got to go to work. You've got to take care of things. We have families. We have things happening. We're busy. We have things going on. But Sunday, we need to be together. The earliest description of the church in Acts chapter 2 verse 44 and all he believed were together together on Sunday now I know a lot of people say oh I, I can worship Jesus just as good out on the lake or in the golf course or on the deer stand well I hope you're doing that on the deer stand and I hope you're doing it on the golf course hope you're doing it on the lake but let me tell you on Sunday we worship better together we worship better together on Sunday on the Lord's day we will not worship him better anywhere else this is God's idea Jesus paid for the church with his own blood. And you're going to say, well, it really doesn't mean anything. Together on Sunday. And they came together to break bread. Two activities. First of all, they gathered together for what they called a, a love feast. It was, it was potluck, guys. They gathered together and everybody brought their food. And, and they, they shared it with each other. This was important for one reason. A lot of the people in the early church, early Christians, especially as it got out into the non-Jewish areas, were slaves. They were slaves. They were allowed to worship after a day's work, and they would all get together, and they would all get together, and the people who could afford it would provide food for everybody. Everybody brought something. Some of them were very, very poor working people. So you had people that were that were affluent. They, they, they 
had jobs and they had resources in the early church. Then you had those who were about as poor as you could get. We had the, the bottom of society, which was slaves. All of them came together in the family of the Lord, and, and scholars look at this and say, this was probably the only real meal that some of these believers had all week long when they gathered together with their brothers. So they had this meal for that purpose. And then, of course, breaking bread has to do with the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Because why do they gather together? To celebrate the resurrection. But before the resurrection happened, what happened? The crucifixion. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And don't forget how much it costs for you to be able to have eternal life. So that's why we do that. So they came together to break bread. Then, of course, a key word, as we're looking at the practice of the early church, is, of course, biblical preaching. And it says, Paul, ready to depart, spoke to them and continued his message till midnight. Now, we may look at this and say, man, no wonder the guy fell asleep. Paul preached till midnight? Because what would happen, they would gather together after sundown, after the close of the day, the work day. And it says, Paul preached or spoke until midnight. But if you look at the word, the word spoke to them is the Greek word from which we get the term dialogue. Now, the word dialogue means more than one people are speaking. So what would happen is this. Paul would talk to them and people would ask questions and they would, he would answer their questions. Now, a lot of these people had never heard of Jesus before. A lot of the people had never heard of a, a Christ-like lifestyle before. So they had all these questions. And Paul would answer their questions. And so it wasn't just a long speech. People were asking him questions. He was answering questions. So they all had a little part of it, and they couldn't get enough because they had things they needed to know. So Paul, of course, spoke the gospel to them. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul said, When I went to Troas to preach the gospel, so you know what happened in Troas right here? Paul wasn't just talking. He was preaching the gospel. And then, of course, some things never change. You know what happened in the early church? Somebody fell asleep. Now, that doesn't happen now, does it? Oh, yes, it does. Let me tell you, I can see more from here than you think I can. And I know sometimes, despite your best efforts, people fall asleep. And I know you're tired. I know you've had a busy week. And you've just sat down. And this is the first time you've had a chance to sit down all week. And you know what I say? Well, at least you feel safe with me. <laughs> and you're comfortable. But now, this man fell asleep. Let me tell you, two things were working against Eutychus. Number one, he was exhausted. Because you know when they had their worship service? After the end of a work day. You know when the workday started? At sunup. The workday started at sunup. And he had been awake since sunup and working since sunup. And now after a long day of work, it's getting to be midnight, and the man is tired. But also, you notice, Luke is an eyewitness. He said there were many lamps in the building. That was like a, a, a bowl of oil with a wick in it, and it was like oil lamps. And those oil lamps were all burning because they couldn't meet in the dark. 
They were all burning that upper room where there's using up all the oxygen. Now, we've got plenty of oxygen here and people still fall asleep. But this man, of course, he fell asleep. And he fell out. And of course, you know, he fell out of the third story, but it wasn't like on the roof. He fell probably, you know, of course, the, the, the floor was about 20 feet off the ground. Probably not that much because, you know, the the ceilings weren't that tall because people weren't that tall. So, But still, probably fell, you know, 15 feet down, which, you know, would be a rude awakening. I mean, you know, he was crumpled up pretty bad because they thought he was dead. And Paul went and, and, and picked him up and said, don't worry, he's, he's all okay. And, and, of course, everybody was happy about that. But there's a detail that, that you, you have to catch here. And you have to catch it by looking at the early language. And, of course, I don't know Greek, but I do have a lot of access to Greek scholars. And one of the encouraging things in verse 12, it says, they brought the young man in alive. That young man, that term there is a Greek word, pos. Here's what's encouraging. You know what this word means? A boy from 8 to 14 years old. They already had a youth program in Troas. They had kids in the church. Wow. They had young people in the church. So I've realized that's a church I'd like to be a part of. I like having kids at Bristol. I like having kids at the church of all ages. And here was a man, a young man that was between 8 and 14. He would either be in Awana or the youth building, one of the two. He would be in one of us. But, but we realized here was, here was a church that was willing to include their young people in a worship service. And they brought their kids to church. That's the early church. Now, takeaways here. We're wrapping it up. In the third missionary journey, here's things we can understand. True Christianity, when we really mean business with the Lord, will make a difference in our behavior. It made enough a difference in the behavior of the people at Ephesus that the the, the people who were selling ungodly things begin to hurt because they quit spending money on stupid stuff, all right? Secondly, Sunday is the day to be together. Together on Sunday. Remember that, together on Sunday. And then thirdly, what was happening all throughout Paul's activity? He exhorted them with the message. And he went to Troas specifically to preach the gospel. And that was the common thread with anything else Paul did. When Paul was in action, people were going to hear the message of Christ. And that is the core of mission work and the core of what we do even in this community because mission work starts here, is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what that message is, is that you can know where you're going when this life is over through faith in Jesus Christ. Prepare for an invitational hymn. Where, where does this hit you? Does this answer some questions? Does it hit us somewhere in our life of what we need to be doing, what we need to be, where we need to be going? So if you have any business to deal with God, why don't you make it right as we stand and sing? What number? 121. You come. <laughs>